Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I am Tim Robertson, your host of this podcast, and also the coordinator of the training program within the organization. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, the moon, the planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available to the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers also lovingly known as the Australian Astronomer. The Association of Lunar Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the studies of the solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study submitted observations. You can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.com Org. That again, www.alpo-astronomy.org. Now, on to the Observer's Note. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook. Our guest today is Wayne Bailey. He's the coordinator of the lunar section of the ALPO. Welcome, Wayne. Hi, Tim. Hey, Hi, Wayne. everybody. Hey, hey, Wayne, why don't you give everybody a little background information about yourself, age, location, occupation, whatever you want to tell us. Okay. Uh, I'm actually 74 years old right now. Uh, I'm retired, obviously, at that age. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, my background's actually in astronomy. I've got a PhD in astronomy, although I spent most of my career in the aerospace industry. Where did you get your PhD from? Aerospace engineer, University of Arizona. Oh, okay. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I taught college for a few years. Uh, did teach astronomy. I did do some astronomy uh, with Ames Research Center out in California, NASA. Oh. Uh, for a few years while I was teaching college, uh, but then went into the aerospace industry, and spent most of my career in that. Um, let's see. I'm spending my time partially between Arizona and New Jersey now. Since retired, we just uh, moved part-time to Tucson, Arizona. Uh, but, let's see. Like I said, my background's in astronomy. I didn't get involved with ALPO until maybe around 2000. About 15 years ago. What got you interested in the ALPO? I got. I'm, we moved back to California, to New Jersey at that point. I had been living in Alabama, mm-hmm. and the lighting situation is really lousy there. Mm. Uh, so the, the planets and the moon were some of the easiest things to observe. Some actually some of the few things you could observe. I can hear you on that. Yeah. 
the street lights right at the end of the driveway and all these kind of things. The uh, naked eye visibility, the uh, limiting visibility usually was about third magnitude or so. Yeah, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in uh, California and it was we had a street light right across the street from our house and I'd go outside and it'd be probably second magnitude the dimmest thing I could see so I was naturally geared toward the ALPO. There were no deep yeah. s- deep, sky, deep sky fuzzies I could see at all. Right, it's hard to see almost anything uh, very faint. Uh, so I got interested pretty much as a matter of, pra- of practicality of what you could observe. Mm-hmm. Before that I'd done some variable star work um, with the AVSO. But I got interested in the moon. Uh, Bill Dembowski was head of the lunar division at that point, lunar section at that point. Uh, he was pretty encouraging. And when he decided to retire, I ended up taking over the lunar, the at least parts of the lunar section. That's a large section. There's a lot of different moving pieces to it. Right. There, there are actually several different parts to it. As a topographical and selected areas section and uh, uh, bright rays, banded craters, over. Um, there's also a transient phenomena section that Tony Cook in England is in, in charge of. There's a meteorite impact section that's still active. Um, there used to be an active dome section, lunar dome section, but my understanding is that's fairly inactive at the moment. Yeah, years ago I used to contribute to that. I remember that. That was way back though. It was like in the 90s or the 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. So what kind of uh, observing equipment do you have? Uh, I got several telescopes. When I first got into this, I was using a, a Slustron 11-inch SCT. Uh, started out originally with a one of the webcams, one of Philips 2U cams. Mm-hmm. Um, got interested in that. Since then, I've had several other cameras since. Um, usually now I use a uh, Skynix. I also have a Skyrisk camera that I haven't, from Celestron, that I haven't really gotten to use very much yet. Hoping they use that more often in the future. People have had real good results with those. Now, is, your fo- is your focus mostly on the moon? Primarily on the moon, yeah. I do some of the other planets mostly for my own interest. I haven't really gotten seriously into that. Uh, I've gotten interested in spectroscopy lately, so I've been doing some stellar spectroscopy. Um, I'm interested in trying to develop something on the moon there or possibly with polarimetry. Oh. So what are you using for spectroscopy? I have a, uh, actually a couple of spectrographs. The one that I usually use is a Shellac. Um, El high res. Hmm. Depending on which grading you use, various resolutions. Uh, for some of the star work, also use a um, one of these uh, uh, gratings that you can put in in front of the camera and the telescope and the converging beam. But it'll give you very low resolution. Interesting. Uh, what what that, what, what that ta- doesn't work on the moon though. No, because yeah, it's work. reflected sunlight usually, huh? Right. Yeah. yeah. What what equipment do you say, suggest for people that want to contribute to the lunar section? Pretty much whatever you have. Uh, I've seen people contribute with almost anything. In the latest 
Lunar Observer, I noticed there's some submissions from Mike Sweeten with a Unitron 2.4 inch refractor. Oh. Uh, that's the smallest one I've seen recently. That's what I started with in the ALPA. Little two point. It wasn't Unitron. It was a Tasco or something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, I have one of the Unitron 2.4 inch ones. Huh. I haven't used it in years. Uh, it's in the attic, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't used that recently. Well, what good is it uh, there? <laughs> it, isn't, it isn't any good. There, um, but I have several other telescopes. So the 11 inch. Uh, Schmidt Cassegrain. I actually have two 11 inch Schmidt Cassegrains, um, an 8 inch Newtonian, and a 4 inch refractor. Yeah. But, f- but for contributing to the lunar section, pretty much any size telescope really works because. Uh, pretty, much, pretty much anything, yeah. yeah. Um, the biggest I've seen anybody use that I've seen the submissions from was a 14 inch Schmidt Cassegrain. That's a lot of light coming in. That's a lot of light, yeah. The moon's a very bright source. Yeah. Uh, so within the lunar section, you talked about a couple of the observing programs. What are some of the others? Within the lunar section? Yeah. Um, well, the ones that, that I work with, the topographical uh, session section is basically what you usually think of as just imaging the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at, it includes things like photometry and measuring out altitudes on the moon elevations. Uh, anything that you can consider topographical on the moon. Um, the photometry, there's sections for the um, changes in the visibility of dark spots on the moon, that kind of thing. Uh, the lunar rays, the uh, raid crater program, obviously, again, is a, a type of photometry, looking at the rays and how they, how they spread across the moon, what they, how they change with the phase. Uh, banded craters, the type of crater that when when you image it, it has bands within the crater. Uh, they can be vertical bands along the inner walls, uh, bands across the floor. The vertical bands on the walls are probably basically landslides, lunar landslides, yeah. um, changing the the exposure of the changing the the weathering on the. Um, sections of the wall that changes the appearance. Uh, there could be other explanations. It's a little harder to picture the, what the banding is on the floors. Uh, that, for a while, was a very active section. Um, it's kind of tapered off now. We haven't gotten submissions in that for quite a while. Um, let's see. I'd like to get a section going on polarimetry. Um, polarimetry will give you some of the similar information to what you get from photometry, the way the brightness changes with a sun angle on the moon, tells you something about the structure of the surface. And polarimetry will do very similar type things. There's been some professional work done on that. I've seen some. I haven't um, tried to look it all up yet to see just how much has been done. Uh, There's something to be seen there. I'm not sure whether or not there's anything that amateurs actually contribute. Since polarimetry is a rather sensitive mm-hmm. area, it's a very um, it takes a, a very accurate measurements to do a good job on it. Um, we'll have to see whether or not amateurs really can contribute to that or not. Yeah, it sounds like uh, imaging is pretty much the mainstay of the lunar section, or are there still visual observations taking place? 
There are visual observations taking place. Uh, if you look at the Lunar Observer, there's usually some drawings in that in the any one any particular issue. In fact, uh, we just had one observer, Robert Hayes, that's essentially retired just in the last couple of months. He had had a run with the Lunar Observer. The very the first page usually had a article on it that was called the Feature of the Month was a drawing by Robert Hayes. Hmm. And he, he had a continuous run from before I took over. When I checked with Bill Dembowski, if I remember the numbers right, it worked out to 212 successive submissions. Oh, my Robert, goodness. Without, without missing a month. 212 months? 212 consecutive months. Oh, my goodness. I have an observation published every month. And they're all visual? They're all visual. Uh, before that's a, that, that's he had, amazing. He had also contributed for, some, for a while before that, but they weren't consecutive months. Yeah. So there is value to visual observing. There is still some value to visual observing. Yeah. Um, you still really can see more uh, visually. And one of the things about the visual observing is even if you do the imaging, visual observing teaches you to, to actually see what you're looking at. You pay When you're doing visual observing and sketching, you have to pay attention to the details. You have to actually uh, understand what, you're, what you are seeing. Uh, it's very easy with imaging with the cameras to simply take the image and then basically pay no attention to it. Right. Just produce a nice-looking image, and that's it. That, that That's an excellent point, because in the training program that I coordinate, that's one thing I stress. I mean, I'll, I'll tell the students, pick a, pick a crater, just a crater on the right. moon. Don't pick four or five, pick one, and give me 50 drawings on that over a six-month period of time. And... What they subconsciously end up doing is become better observers. They're starting to see things that they didn't see before. Right. You know, we've all been to star parties where, you know, you're looking at a galaxy and you look through the telescope and you see the detail in the galaxy, but then some somebody else who's not used to looking through a telescope doesn't see anything at all. Right. Because our eyes are trained, and that's what that's the key. You know, in the training program, I want to train these people to be better observers. And along with that is not only the drawing skills, but also their documentation. And that's, I think, right. one thing you mentioned yeah. is is that visual observers will probably give you more written detail about what they actually see. They do. If you, if you look at the lunar observers, you'll notice that the people that submit the drawings, very often, and it's not only them. I don't want to mm-hmm. uh, disparage the, the imagers. Um, but the, you'll see some people that consistently provide a description of what the image contains, what the drawing contains, or what the image contains, and a discussion of it. Mm-hmm. Others, you get the basic information about it, the exposure, the time, yeah, um, that type of thing, uh, which actually, without that information, the, the observation really doesn't mean a whole lot. Right. Uh, That's very true. How many current contributors do you have to the lunar section? At the moment... Now, not everybody necessarily contributes every month. Right. I'd say they're uh, of the ones that have contributed over at some point within maybe the last year or so, uh, probably somewhere between 50 and 75. Uh, 
I haven't actually counted that number. Yeah. If you go back over a period of years, you get some observers that have been active for a couple of years and then drop out and then come back again a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so overall, uh, we have a database of all the observations that have ever been submitted. And the number of observers in that is up, a, up well over 150 or so. Wow. That's great. Because you, you think of the moon, you think, well, we've walked on the moon. We've got probes going around the moon. What value would there be to observing the moon through the telescope? You know, and, and right. That's one of the that's one of the questions that I get quite a bit. Uh, is why bother? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we've got set the lunar reconnaissance orbiter is still mm-hmm. in orbit around the moon right now, taking great pictures. Right. There are uh, other satellites around that we've had the lunar orbiters, all these, they produce all these images at very high resolution. Um, but they're not looking at the whole moon all at once. They're, they're looking at a swath that they're going over in orbit. And a lot of them have been put in an orbit to keep the lighting continuously the same. Uh-huh. You don't see the light change. Um, the changing light, now that's not true of all the orbiters. Um, mm-hmm. But it's true of some. Um, when you see the light change, that pr- that provides the changing shadows, tells you about the the topography mm-hmm. of the of the surface. You notice it's full moon. The moon looks very flat. Um, no shadows. Yeah. Yeah. You no shadows. You don't see the elevations. Um, how that changes with phase is one of the things that the topographical se- uh, section is really interested in. And one of the things, going back to something you mentioned just a moment ago, um, about concentrating on a particular feature, to learn about that feature, to to get used to that one. Um, We do have a program called the Focus On um, program that that every other month we produce, we list a feature or a class of features uh, for observers to concentrate on. We have an article in the Lunar Observer on that particular feature. We announce it a couple months in advance so people have time to make some observations. And I try to get as many observations as we can of that, of one particular feature. Uh, the latest one was in the latest Lunar Observer was the straight wall, Ruby's Recta. No. Um, we've got one coming up on concentric craters. Uh, that's a whole class of features. So craters that instead of having a peak <coughs> at the center of the crater, have a central ring, raised oh. ring, uh, that's, that's concentric with the crater walls. That's where they get their name. Now, you've mentioned the Lunar Observer a few times. What is the Lunar Observer? It's a newsletter that, that I'm the editor of. Okay. Um, it's a newsletter for the topographical selected areas section, and we also published the, the monthly report from the Lunar Transit Phenomena. So that's separate from the journal? Section. That's separate from the journal. It's not a um, peer-reviewed journal. Okay. Uh, it's meant to try to encourage people to, to provide observations, to focus uh, their attention on things, to, to provide an outlet for people. Um, we try to encourage new observers, um, like in the older observers too, 
any of the anything that would be considered any type of research paper. I'll actually, if I once or twice I've gotten papers submitted, articles submitted to the Lunar Observer that I've then passed on to Ken Vachetley for the journal. Oh, okay. Uh, because they, I felt they really belonged in the journal rather than the, the newsletter, uh, that they were a little bit higher level than the so newsletter. this is a monthly publication? It's monthly. generally okay. runs somewhere in the vicinity of about 20 pages. Now, how can people get that if they're interested? It's on the, it's on the section website. Uh, the website address for that is moon.scopesandscapes.com, and the first page on that will have links to the Lunar Observer and a lot of other information. Dealing okay, with I'll put that link in the show notes so people can easily get there from this podcast. Okay, good. Um, all the back issues are there also. Um, so that's one of the good ways to see just what the section is actually doing to see what people are doing. And being monthly, you can have time-sensitive things out there, too, like keep up with them. You can, yeah. That's great. Um, have there been any significant discoveries or observations made while you've been involved with the lunar program? I don't know how we classify significant. Um, while in the time I've been working with it, we've had several articles on elevation measurements on the moon, um, in the past, John Westfall and I developed a classification system for lunar domes that's still in use. Uh, it's a LPO mm-hmm. classification system. Uh, let's see what else would the, what else would there be? Any meteor strikes or anything like that on the moon? That ha- that has been seen. Uh, that's outside my section. Okay. Um, that's the meteor, meteorite impact section. Okay. They are doing things like that, and they do see uh, meteorite impacts on the moon, the flashes, hmm. the meteorites impacting. Um, and I believe, and don't quote me on this because I could be wrong, but I, feel, I believe that, that that section actually started with a detecting meteorite impacts before the current NASA programs that are monitoring them also. And I think they... Um, coordinate with the NASA program now, too. Yeah, well, that brings up my next question about any professional and amateur collaboration in the lunar program. Uh, we haven't had any in the section where I, that I've been associated mm-hmm. with since I've been associated with, since I've been in charge here. Um, there's no reason we couldn't have. Right. Uh, we've had some, some work on the way uh, the brightness changes with phase, what's called uh, a phase curve for the moon, for various features of the moon. Uh, we have had several college students that have had to do uh, senior papers or such mm-hmm. that wanted to do them on the moon, that have helped out with that. Some of them have used some of the observations from our database. Um, we've provided advice to them. I've suggested a couple of times that that the result of the, uh, we could publish either in the Lunar Observer right. or if it, if it was appropriate for the journal. I mean, so far, nobody's taken me up on that. No. Now, you mentioned the database. Where is that located? It's actually right now on my computer. Okay. Uh, we're looking into trying to, to get it publicly accessible. The problem, we've got all the observations on the computer. 
the problem is how do we provide a reasonable way to find anything in it? Right. Uh, right now, the best way to get any information out of it would be to send me an email. Okay. Uh, and I'll look up what whatever whatever anybody's interested in. So you have a cata- uh, you have a catalog pretty well. It's catalog, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, any of the observation, any of the images that are in the Lunar Observer in the last few years at least, I forget exactly when I started this, um, it was after I took over, um, also I have links to the original obs- the original images are on the website. If you get the digital version of the Lunar Observer and click on the image, you'll actually get the, the original. Oh, okay. That's great. Uh, but that's only for the ones that are in the Lunar Observer. Right. And there's no systematic way of finding it. That's the basic problem. <coughs> okay. What do you see for the l- future of the lunar section? I think I see it as primarily an interest-generating section, mm-hmm. rather than a, a very heavily research-oriented session. Some of the planets and so on um, are more are more research-oriented. I think the the bigger opportunity for the moon is as an outreach. Right. It, it's a good. Entr- it's a good. Do some research, but uh, but I think the I think the bigger opportunity is an outreach and interest generating. Well, I, I know from my years with the training program, it's a great um, entry point into making serious observations. Because, in my opinion, if you can make an accurate observation of a lunar feature by observation, I mean, you know, the drawing and also associated information that goes along with it. You could easily draw a planet because the detail that you see in a crater is never going to be what you see on Jupiter through a telescope or Saturn. Mm-hmm. You right, know? And, and that's the thing. I, you know, students say, "Well, I want to do the moon because the moon's easy." And I'm like, "Okay, go for it. Knock yourself out. You know, you should try Pluto. <laughs> it's a lot easier." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is easy in one sense. It's, it's bright. It's easy to locate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and from an imaging standpoint. It's oh. easy to get a decent image. That's right. It's not as easy to get a really outstanding one. That, that's uh, very true. In some senses, it's harder than some of the planets. Yeah. Uh, and one of the f- things on the moon, if you're looking for a specific feature, uh, trying to find a particular crater in, for instance, the southeastern quadrant of the moon uh, can be a exercise of frustration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even with a, a good... Uh, lunar Atlas. Uh, it's just so complicated there. If, it, if you've tried star hopping to find faint stars, mm-hmm. uh, that's easy compared to, to trying to find some of the smaller lunar craters. That's that's, that's uh, an excellent it'll, point. It'll teach you to teach you some observing skills that way, too. And maybe a new vocabulary along the way. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> well, great. Um, we don't publish that, though. <laughs> uh, is there any additional information you want to share about the lunar section? Uh, I think we've pretty much covered it all. Uh, yeah. I'd encourage anybody that wants to get in, that wants to get involved to simply send some observations. They can be visual observations. Digital observations. I haven't gotten an actual photographic one in years. Yeah. Um, Film. If somebody wants. To, if somebody wants to do that, that's fine too. <laughs> they have to be mailed, obviously, <laughs> scanned and right. electronically. Uh, 
But the the Lunar Observer has a page on it on how to submit. Every month it has a, a page on how to submit observations to the section. Um, while we encourage observers to join the ALPO, uh, it's not a requirement to submit observations. Okay. Uh, we'll t we'll accept observations from anybody. We'll work with anybody. Uh, obviously, we'd like you to join, but uh, doesn't but cost a lot to join. But it, it doesn't cost a lot. You're right. Fourteen dollars uh, a year. I don't check either. Yeah. <laughs> so. I check for the training program. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so how can everybody get a hold of you, Wayne? Uh, one of the email, if they check the website, my email is on the website. Okay. Uh, it's wayne.bailey at alpoastronomy.org. Okay, and I will put that in the show notes as well, so that's an easy way people can go there. The simple thing, if they can find the the website, uh, everything is on there. There's, yeah. there's some documentation about the various programs. Uh, there's, for instance, charts, actually images, of all but I think one of the banded craters in the banded crater program. They're basically finding charts uh, of the moon to, to help you locate those because some of them are pretty small. Uh, there's information about the, the various programs and so on, uh, contact information. There are two assistants. I have two assistants for this uh, section right now. Uh, Bill Dembowski is still an assistant coordinator, and Jerry Hubble is also an assistant coordinator. Their contact information is on the website, too. Yeah, we've spoken uh, to Jerry Hubble. He's in a future podcast, so that'll be... I understand, I understand he was going to uh, talk to you, be on the podcast. Yeah, he did very well, yeah. He's actually doing the Focus On program that I mentioned. Okay. Uh, now, he's taken that over from me so, over the last couple months. Uh, well, that's great. Well, Wayne, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Okay, well, thank, thank you for having me. All right, thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. I want to, again, thank our guest, Wayne Bailey, for coming on to talk about the lunar section. We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. The link is in the show notes. This podcast is not financially self-sufficient. We depend on donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. You can help us by supporting this podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give as little as a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. The cost for just hosting this on the website is $15 a month. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the ALPO is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at timrobertson56. You can also find the ALPO on the internet at www.alpo.com astronomy.org. You can find us on Facebook by searching ALPO Astronomy. The ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, the moon, the planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, 
My hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.